I've got the key to the kingdom. The world can't do me no This is the daily podcast from St. Paul's Knightsbridge, an invitation to pause for not more than 10 minutes each day to think, to reflect and to pray. This week, as the church year draws to its close, Phil Davis explores the idea of the kingdom. This week we are reflecting on what it might mean to witness to Christ to make his kingdom of unity, peace and love known to all people in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Today, Jerusalem. In the time of Jesus, the city of the temple, at its heart the Holy of Holies, the dwelling place of God, a place of pilgrimage, a place of prayer, a place where people went to be close to God. But it was also a divided city under Roman rule, and a city raised to the ground in war at the end of the first century, which would see the temple utterly destroyed. And that is the pattern of Jerusalem's history. Before and after the times of Jesus Christ, Jerusalem has been one of the most fought-over cities in the world. It has been utterly destroyed at least twice, besieged more than 20 times, and attacked, captured and recaptured consistently throughout its history. And even today, it is hugely divided on many levels. The division between Israel and the Palestinian Authority, both of which lay claim to Jerusalem as their capital. The division between the Abrahamic faiths, each of which has its own quarter within the old city walls, with their own holy sites. And division within the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, according to the 4th century tradition, the site of Golgotha and the tomb in which Jesus' body was buried, a holy site for Christians. Division in the church, who'd have thought it? Of course, this has been the way since the early days of the church. One of the earliest recorded schisms occurred a little more than a hundred years after the resurrection of Christ. In 140 AD, Marcion attached himself to the church in Rome and was excommunicated four years later for the heretical view that the God who sent Jesus into the world was a higher deity than the creator God of Judaism, essentially writing off the entire of the Old Testament. His denouncers were many and widely scattered, among them Irenaeus of Lyon, Dionysius of Corinth and Tertullian of Carthage. They clearly thought him a credible threat to be dealt with swiftly in order to protect orthodoxy. And thus the pattern was set. Over two millennia there have been the great schisms, such as that of 1054 between the Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches and the English and Protestant reformations of the 16th century. But there have also been many other divisions. Within our own church we can easily recall to mind the obvious ones, Methodists, Quakers, Baptists and Puritans all separated from the Church of England. And today within the Church of England we have flying bishops overseeing those parishes who can't accept the ordination of women. An unhelpful fudge, I used to think. But perhaps fudging isn't always a bad thing. Back to Jerusalem. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre is shared by the Greek Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Armenian Apostolic, Coptic Orthodox, Syriac Orthodox and Ethiopian Orthodox churches. If you ever plan to visit and expect this holy site to be serene, ethereal and quietly prayerful, you're in for a shock. I experienced firsthand the Sunday liturgy at the Holy Sepulchre about ten years ago. 
Imagine the scene. Armenian priests chanting their mass at the same time as the Roman Catholics celebrating their high mass with choir and pipe organ. And as though that's not enough of an attack on the senses, the Greek Orthodox with their chants and thuribles covered with bells, so each time anything is sensed, the clouds of smoke go up with high-pitched bell ringing. It's absolutely chaotic, and rather wonderful in one sense, although it feels a little like a competition in which who shouts loudest wins. Liturgy apart, the denominations within the Church of the Holy Sepulchre are constantly brickering, arguing and disagreeing, and it sometimes gets physical. A few years ago, on the Feast of the Holy Cross, a brawl broke out during the liturgy between the Armenians and Greek Orthodox, which resulted in dozens of worshippers trading kicks and punches, and the riot police being called in to arrest the clergy. And it has ever been thus. Since the 12th century, the key of the Holy Sepulchre has been kept by a Muslim family. The Christians can't be trusted to play nicely and to not lock one another out. What might it mean to witness to Jerusalem in our time? Well, if in witnessing to the people of Jerusalem the disciples were called to witness to those who sought to be close to God, then perhaps it might be a metaphor for witnessing within the church today. What does unity within the church mean for us? Well, perhaps it's about persevering, about putting up with one another as they have done in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre for centuries, maybe focusing on what unites us as opposed to that which divides us, no matter how thin the common ground. Earlier this month, the Church of England launched its Living in Love and Faith programme to facilitate conversation and discernment about identity, sexuality, relationships and marriage in the 21st century. The aim is to inspire people to think more deeply about what it means to be human and how we deal with difference ahead of a discussion at General Synod in 2022. In response to this initiative, the Church of England Evangelical Council responded almost immediately with a video outlining their stance on the issue in a series of presentations by Christians from the evangelical tradition. It is beautifully and professionally produced. However, the group's thinking is laid out so clearly and absolutely that it left me feeling that they've already made up their minds. They appear uninterested to join the discussion and simply contributing their peace to win over others to their way of thinking. I wonder how different the process would be had they joined in the process of listening with an openness to the prompting of the spirit before diving into conclusions and trying to win the argument on day one. The issue of human sexuality is a hugely controversial issue for the Church, and not one which will be simply resolved. But perhaps it doesn't need to be resolved in a neat, tidy declaration by the bishops to which all can subscribe. St Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we were all baptised into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. If our calling is to unity over uniformity within the church, perhaps our commitment might be to listen, to be open to the possibility of a different approach, and where we can't agree, perhaps to fudge it, to persevere with one another, and above all to love one another. A bit like many of us do within our families and in our friendship groups. And, like the Christians of the Holy Sepulchre, perhaps we too need to find ways to avoid locking one another out. 
join me tomorrow as we move from Jerusalem into Judea. And you can join Phil Davis for another podcast in the short series tomorrow and on Wednesday evening at 8.30 in our Zoom room for a discussion before Compline. This is just one of many podcasts available from St Paul's Knightsbridge. Search on SoundCloud or Spotify for details.